Hello, it's Mark Borg. Uh, Mark Borg, it's Kim Burns with What's the Story? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I had a fantastic time reading your most recent book, Don't Be a Dick, Change Yourself, Change Your World. Oh, well, I am so glad to hear that. <laughs> now, Mark, did you just release this book yesterday? Correct. Yes. And uh, I, so I can't really ask you, how's it going? <laughs> <It's>... uh, well, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's too, too early to tell. But um, as far as I can tell yeah. from just the fact that, uh, you know, the numbers look pretty good where, where we're looking at, I think that it pre-sold a lot of copies, you know, just in time for the holidays. Perfect. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Um, well, I want to let all of our listeners know that Dr. Borg is, uh, right. you're right here in New York City, you're a psychologist, and you have written um, at least one other book that I know of because I interviewed you for that, the Relationship Insanity book. That's right. Just last year, I think right about this time. So yes, uh, Relationship Sanity was the one that you and I talked about. Yep. There was uh, one before that called Irrelationship, uh, which was on a similar similar subject as the other one. Now, let's tell everybody how you came up with the idea of don't be a dick, aside from the fact that we're surrounded by these people and may even be one ourselves. Oh, gosh, suddenly I feel like so, I'm feeling so shy. Um, because, no, I, you know, you and I talked about this process, this project called Irrelationship last year, and I've been working with these guys uh, this Thanksgiving. It'll be nine years. So the way that I came up with this subject, this topic, is that these guys and I were at a local Polish restaurant down in the East Village, and I had an epic meltdown in front of these guys and in front of some neighbors who just so happened to be at the restaurant. And I, for me, it was a bottom. It was a bottom in this kind of behavior. I looked at these guys, and I was thoroughly convinced that especially one of them was the world's biggest dick, only to come to realize that that was probably me in that moment. Right. And I think that the biggest thing, and we can talk about so many different aspects of the book, is deciding uh, that you yourself are a dick. And let's talk about how you become one and what happens and why people put up these defenses. It's the most important part of it, really, is that people don't really mean to be dicks, but they're doing it to protect their vulnerability. Right, that's what I'm really writing about in this book. I'm not actually labeling, I'm not putting anybody up on the cross. I'm really trying to get at what is soft and vulnerable, insecure and lonely about existence here and how being a dick is but one of many ways of defending ourselves from being open and being vulnerable and being empathetic and intimate with other people. So what happens is this kind of a defense, this way of protecting ourselves or overprotecting ourselves by treating other people poorly, it just builds on itself and it creates more insecurity and it becomes self-perpetuating. And before you know it, it's just become part of our character, a part of our armor, the way in which we actually start to experience ourselves. So I beg the people as they're just starting to read this book, whatever you do, let's look at, th- at this thing, this dick, not as something you are, but as something you do. And it's a kind of behavior and it's a kind of armor that I'm gently encouraging people to take off. Right. And yeah, I mean, obviously the the extreme dick example would be the Joker who ends up in his vulnerability <laughs> turning into 
the Joker and then killing people. I mean, my point is, is that there's so many varying degrees of this that I think I, I would love to focus on uh, the people that are barely dicks. So, you know, it's those people that occasionally you'll see them uh, at your club. You'll run into them and well, they sort of don't give you the time of day, but just that day. So can we talk a little bit about the dicks that people run into on a regular basis and how to handle those people? Well, okay, first of all, the formula for that is, and I'm going to be crass, I don't know how crass I can actually be here, uh, but it, it, the formula for that is don't feed the dick. Right. Don't feed it. You've got to somehow stay on your side of the street. You've got to be able to hit pause. You've got to be able to do a spot check inventory of yourself and really check out what's going on here. The dicks exist to invite other people into their dance. They are constantly, they are walking around. Let's say they're going to go home lonely tonight. The more people that they could kick in the gut as they walk down the streets of New York uh, City, the more they get to go home and feel as if they've made some kind of human contact. So we have to starve the dick. We have to actually do to treat the dick the same way you treat the, the stray cat. Don't feed it. Well, and these people, you know, the, the, the people that are just like kicking at your shin, the people for me, it's like the people who barrel onto the subway, right? Or ride their bicycles on the sidewalk when I walk with my kids. Right. And they're looking and they're looking for attention because, like you said, they're looking for a connection. Uh, you do a lot of quoting from uh, AA and with the 12 yeah. step program. And one of right. the uh, quotes that you're talking about is we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. So Correct. explain that. Okay, so to me, that is the ultimate. That is the ultimate moment, and that means that people are walking around, dicks are walking around, believing that other people are launching unprovoked attacks against them. But what I'm really highlighting is these are not unprovoked attacks, these are counterattacks. That's what that quote, see, the whole book was actually written around that exact quote. You know, it says, if the quote continues, in, we find invariably that we've made decisions based on self which place us in a position to be hurt. So these people are stepping on other people's toes, the dick. They don't know it. I'm, I'm very compassionate. I'm very, I want to be very kind and inviting to these people because they're stepping on other people's toes and not really realizing that that's what's going on. The other people are having really intense reactions to them and then they're walking around going like, what happened? Right, well, you know, they, I think it's funny because, you know, we all used to think when we were learning a little bit about psychology and getting hurt by people, and realizing that when somebody really mistreated you, it usually wasn't about you. Right. 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 And, right. and, and that's what I'm asking. But I'm actually, I'm twisting that a little bit and saying it is about you, but that's good news. This is about you, but it's about you being hurt. It's about you being scared. It's about you being insecure, which is very soft and very vulnerable. So you need to find soft, gentle, safe, places to express yourself where you can actually form actual human connections with other people so you don't have to go around the world acting out all this incredible unhappiness. Okay, and, think, and, yeah. and what about, for example, something that's not so overt? Let's say, and this is so commonplace, Mark, where you get ghosted. So you think uh, you're friends with somebody, you're planning a meeting, you're planning a dinner, what, what have you. and all of a sudden they poof they they're gone and we know it's a power play but yeah. what do you deal how do you deal with the the ghost dick well okay so that may be one of the hardest kind of situations they have to deal with because again 
this formula really doesn't change regardless of it's the, uh, you know, the horrific dick who, you know, absolutely actually comes at you physically with physical violence or the ghost. Either one of them is begging for some kind of reaction on your part. You know, the ghost may, uh, they need you to chase them. The, the person who's physically violent may need you to somehow duck and cover and, and really show them how powerful they are. But either way, if you're handing over your reaction to this person, you are empowering that person to continue their bad behavior wherever you go. So as painful as it is, you have to starve out the ghost. The same way you've got to protect yourself fully from abuse. You cannot engage it whatsoever. It's not our job here to go and, and change the ghost, to change the, the abuser. It's our job first and foremost to, to take care of ourselves. Right, so w when we're talking about, and we've all had this, you're um, on the subway and the people are coming in the door, they won't let you out of the train. We know these people. Okay, so, I mean, we've, we see, we run into this all the time, particularly in a crazy crowded town like New York. So, yep. what do we just mind our own business? Nobody wants to get into a confrontation. Look at these crazy people slashing you and throwing you That's on right. the tracks. That's right. But I, I think that is the way it looks overtly, but actually what's going on, if you hit pause, and you actually do some inventory of what's going on, then you are not simply passively allowing people to treat you like a, uh, a doormat. What I really turn to, and I talk about this at the end of the book, is I, I like to use the word satyagraha. Satyagraha is this very, very active form of resistance. So that you're, maybe it looks the same, maybe the person bells onto the subway and it's your job to get out of the way, but you are internally allowing yourself the space to not have a reaction to not feed that person's violence right it's a violent act we know look you know what's a violent act you know it's violent to come barreling onto the subway you know it's violent to come you know riding your bicycle you know full speed on the sidewalk right there's so many things that it goes from being passive and just you know rolling over and rolling your eyes to say i'm going to actively stand for some kind of peace in this world i'm going to actively be a person who sees this bad stuff going on and steps out of it and doesn't allow that person to believe they got some kind of reaction that maybe what they're really looking for anyway it's always back to trying to starve out this bad behavior in other people but really the book it for the most part is not focusing on other people's behavior. It's all about trying to form some kind of different relationship with the world based on empowering yourself to not have such a reactive stance toward it, that you get to live in this kind of self-acceptance. And if you find this self-acceptance, you will not be reacting to the world. And you'll watch other people go through the world hurting themselves and tripping up and fighting each other. You can literally see them fist fighting each other but then you wind up, I don't know if you ever uh, read the Alan Carr Easy Way to Quit Smoking book. Right. Uh, <laughs> That's an old I, one. Yeah, I know, but I, I had to read it, and I, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, and it worked. And at the end of that book, he says, don't ever look at the smoker with envy. Don't ever look at them with jealousy, and don't look at them with derision either. Look at them with gratitude and say to yourself, yippee, I'm a non-smoker. Right. And I want us to look at the dick and go, yippee, I'm a non-dick. Yippee, I'm not compelled. I'm not mindlessly drawn into treating other people so poorly. I see the person barreling into the subway and I say, yippee, I'm a non-dick. Okay, so Mark, let, let's forget about those strangers because I can, I hey, I can be above it. I can walk away. I can go on <laughs> with my business. But what if uh, 
the the dick or where you also talk about garden variety jerks or yeah. these people that you're either married to or you're very good friends with or what have you um we've got we've got that scenario where it's a more intimate relationship um what if it turns out that you're looking at these people and thinking i'm not really sure they're a dick i think they might have a bad personality then again, the answer is still the same. You got to focus on yourself and ask yourself, why did I invite the vampire into my life? You know, you can only a vampire can only come into your room or your house when you invite them in. So the kind of person you're talking about is somebody who, at least at some point in your life, you invited them in. I think you have to put the focus back on yourself and ask, what was the mission that you were kind trying to accomplish? This kind of goes back to my first couple of books with like. Was I trying to caretake them? Was I taking on some big, horrible project so that I could be the one to, uh, to, to cure, to rescue, to fix the like bad boy or the bad girl? See, I think so many of us invite dicks into our lives, not even inadvertently. We do it because we, we are still on a mission. We're trying to fix some old wound in ourselves, so we bring them in, and instead of trying to work on our wound, that dick in our relationship becomes a scapegoat for everything that's wrong with us. Yeah, but everybody knows that if you get too smart and you become a non-dick yourself, that it can really drastically change the relationships around you, which can be very frightening to people. What that's do exactly right. As a matter of fact, you're, you're, there's um, you know the Al-Anon program, if you speak about you know, 12 Steps in AA, because I, I did throw in a lot of uh, AA stuff, but mostly I, I was more generally, not just AA, but the whole 12 Steps, because, uh, you know, when people do get sober, it's such a drastic, dramatic, intense change that what they really see when they come out of rehab or they've been going to AA for a few months is they see how much the system resists their change. They resist the transformation because the system kind of operates like this. In fact, in the yeah. book, I talk about snafu, and it's the F-U in the snafu that makes the system go. So you're absolutely right. If you're going to change yourself, if you're going to change your dickery, if you're going to knock it off, you can expect dramatic changes in the system. But I'm really encouraging people to invite people into this change. I'm encouraging people prior to just giving up and going, oh, my husband's a jerk. He doesn't like that I've become nice. I think i got to find a new one. No, I mean, just, we can do this gently. And I actually have lots of exercises and tools in the book that is, aren't just specifically for a person. I actually ask people to invite people in their lives to come and do this work. I have a whole process of inventory that I ask people to do with people that are close with them to try to look at a relationship and try to figure out what's going on. Let's look at a problem and see who's bringing in what, not in a critical or judgmental way, but in a curious way. Well, I know it, these, it, no, and I think the exercises are fantastic and they're, they're very effective. What about, let's say it's not a spouse where you want to, yes, you want to save that relationship, uh, you want to make your, your household more normal, but what if it's just some friends in general who you feel like, you know, they're not very open, they're not total dicks, but it's enough where you sort of say to yourself, wow, hmm, not feeling like this circle of friends is, is uh, am I the closest to or what have you, because they're not giving. What do you do in that case where you feel like you definitely don't want to be a dick? You're not even sure if they are, but it doesn't feel like it's an open communication. I don't think that you have to do too much because I think, again, as you change your behavior, you will have a different insight into what's going on and, and, and even a better insight, I think, into what kind of role you're playing in relationships. There's plenty of relationships, including very superficial ones, with friends, or sort of quote friends, who really do relish 
a person acting like a jerk and being in that role consistently, the naysayer, the turd hurdler, the righteous indignation that plays out in some of these relationships, they become scapegoats for what we don't like about ourselves. Because one of the big mechanisms that I come back to over and over again in the book is projection. And projection is that mechanism where I see in other people what I can't stand or hate in myself. So when a person's not being a dick, it's really, really rough for other people who are using them to sort of project all the things they hate about themselves. The challenge that friendship or that relationship is really for that person to take back those projections, and that's hard. So a lot of relationships, superficial ones, not a lot, but some superficial relationships might not survive you becoming a non-dick. Right. No, no, it's interesting, and because it's because it's exhausting uh, yeah. for for one, which you do talk about too. Uh, what about you're in a situation, and let's say uh, it is a marriage or a partnership, and one person is the dick, and they're trying to get uh, the reaction, of course, which is the dick's motive, out of the other person, but that person does the stonewalling, which we know is also dickish behavior, as you've pointed out. But what I what I think is interesting as there is has to be a self-protective mode until you work through how you're going to fix the dick so in other words it's like I think there's so many stages to it uh, that I think it can be tough for people because again going back to exhausting but also I think sometimes you have to be very internal and Mm -hmm. and gentle with yourself if you're working in a dickish situation can we talk a little bit about that See, I love your question, because I think it goes to, you know, the Gottmans and the big couple researchers, and they talk about the four horsemen of the divorce apocalypse, and they talk about criticism and defensiveness and stonewalling and contempt, right? Yes. So these are all things that if they're implemented regularly in a relationship, those are pretty dickish behaviors. But I believe that each one of those behaviors, if you are conscious and aware, can be twisted, can be reframed. And I think the one that you're talking about is I think the, the big one, the starting for me with couples, because I work with a lot of couples, is to take a stone wall and turn it into a moratorium. So what you're talking about is creating a space between couples. It isn't a freeze out. It isn't a, uh, it's not a shun. It's not a rejection or abandonment, but it's a consensual time period that when things are boiling over while we're trying to recover from being in a horrible place in our marriage, that if we use moratorium, we can consciously turn what was a stone wall into a very productive space where we don't try to pound away at issues. We give ourselves space to work them out really gently and slowly over the course of time. So we, again, criticism, we can use this inventory to start looking at ourselves. Defensiveness, we open up to what the other person has to offer. And contempt is actually the poison. Contempt, they say, the relationships, they say, the Gottman, can survive the other three horsemen. But contempt is this horrible state where you're just looking at your partner and feeling disdain. And that is much less likely to happen if you're able to stop treating the person poorly. If you're not able to stop acting out all this insecurity and fear and pain, then interestingly, as you treat people less poorly, you actually start experiencing them less poorly. Oh, sure. And so, I think, I mean, yeah. when you even say the word contempt, it just borders on hate. It's just, it's a horrible, it's a horrible feeling. Before we wrap this up, I, I, as I was reading this, I thought, I thought of something interesting. I do a lot of uh, stand-up comedy work, and I was talking to some comics recently 
uh, because we were running a show and we had a lot of people in and out, a lot of different comics. And one comic turned to me and said, you know, have you ever noticed that the best comics are the nicest people? And it sort of plays into everything that you're talking about, because when you think about comedy as being, you know, acerbic and cutting and biting and um, coming from the wrong place, those comics aren't funny. They make you feel bad. And, you know, comedy is really uplifting and insightful coming from somebody who's not a dick. I just thought I'd throw that out there because in, in my line of work, I thought this could, is so applicable and so interesting. Um, and it's, it's a totally different arena, Mark, but it's, yeah. but it's it, something next time you go to a show, think about it. But, um, you know, I, recently, that's so funny you said that because just a couple of weeks ago, there was this show, a comedy, a stand-up comedy show called Bring Your Mama. Right. And it was for kids. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Right? Because, you know, because comedy, as I know it, you know, so relies on what you're talking about. This kind of, you know, this kind of attack and this kind of real, kind of, uh, you know, real expletive and dirty and all this kind of stuff. So we took the kids to this comedy show for kids over in the uh, West Village at someplace called the Village Lantern. And I have to tell you, I was beyond impressed because... These comics were so incredibly hospitable and funny and welcoming and inviting. Like, it was like the smartest, most wonderful show. I, I would recommend it. I guess they have it once a month. But it, 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 it proved to me exactly what you're, you're saying right now. And I wouldn't have thought about it really until you just mentioned that. Well, there but, you go. It's, but it's yeah. really true. And, and then yeah. you, you walk out feeling good not yeah. upset and there's it's such oh. a huge it's such a huge difference but i just want to um the last thing i want to talk about uh because we have to to go is uh there is a a, a note here saying um, the best way to know that this book is for you is that you thought you bought it for someone else <laughs> yes that's the real point of the whole thing i can't, i've had all these i've had all these interviews with people that are like Oh, I can't wait to give this book to Pulitzer. I'm like, oh, don't say that. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> don't say that. You know? But then I really backed that on. I thought that on the whole thing. And I'm like, look, if being a dick is not something you are. It's something you do. No, it's okay. You know, everything's fine. You know, we're all going to... If you're reading this book, I'm telling you, then you're not the kind of dick that you think you are because no dick is going to read a book like this. That's, Nobody. That's, no but that's what makes me nervous. But then again, going back to your point that you're working on yourself, so you can't yeah. really help that dick who's not going to read it, but you yeah. can help yourself by reading it. That's right. And you don't need to. You don't need to help the dick really i mean if you're helping the dick then you're a compulsive caretaker and that's a whole other thing that's your next book that no that's my last book oh there's okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah little plug for that uh no so i mean again you don't have to because when you're in a different more loving kind and generous relationship with the world you will attract loving kind and generous interactions you're just you're gonna starve the dick you're That's starving right. the dick when you're not acting that way. Well, you're, not, you're just not. You're not. You're not. Uh, you're not tasty to a dick if you're not being one yourself. Well, that's right. So obviously, all we have to do is look around and maybe turn on the news tonight to know that there's been a dick explosion. And uh, you know, it, it, we know how that works now. If we go ahead and read your book, Mark Borg, PhD, don't be a dick. Change yourself. Change your world. Uh, 
Thank you. That is so fun. The book is very enlightening. I hope everybody has a stocking stuffer. It's a perfect stocking stuffer. Yeah, gift to myself. Gift, <laughs> gift to yourself. All right, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank Appreciate you. your time. It's lovely to be here with you.